Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Phil Tiger. Slacker Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the second podcast of 2021. It is the Slacker Podcast with me, your host Phil Taggart. Um, hello to you all. I hope you're getting through the year. I hope you're healthy. I hope you're safe. And if you have taken ill, that you're you're getting better and um and you're watching loads of crap TV, listening to loads of podcasts, listening to loads of music, or maybe you're just like me and and it really hasn't changed your work up that dramatically i mean i'm, I'm like free i'm freelancing sort of sitting in the house recording stuff and and crackpotting ideas i'm missing a lot of things i'm missing family i'm missing going to the pub i'm missing friends god do you like my uh, the order that i got things in there as well definitely my my priority list um last week's podcast with alan mcgee went down really well um you know like we normally get artists on here but i mean alan mcgee is partly some of the brains behind like you know oasis and and primal scream um uh the happy mondays um and just like yeah loads of artists like that so he just had so many incredible um stories of the 80s and the 90s of rock and roll like if yeah if you like your sort of folklore and um and yeah and just sort of an insight into what what music was like back then and now, because he's still releasing music with um, bands like The Clockworks, go back and listen to last week's one. Um, if you're just new to the podcast, then um, hello to you. You have a lot of um, binging to do. Um, the podcast seems to have taken hold of the US quite a bit. I mean, maybe in a very minor music interview podcast way. Um but yeah, hello to all our, our US um, listeners as well. Um, it's it like the numbers have gone being up um, that that side for a long time. Um, so yeah, uh, the last couple that we've had on Future Island, Sean Paul, Connor Obers, Ray, Tim Minchin, Action Bronson, Matt Berninger, Kurt Vile, Jake Bug, Idols, Daniel Avery, Jarvis Cockerheim, <gasps> Leon Lavis, Jaden Smith, Bob Geldof from the Jewels, Sleaford Mods, KSI, Phineas, Johnny Burrell. Oh, right, I'm out of breath. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of you to to go back and and have a little look through. Um, so yeah, if you want to get involved with um, the Slacker Patreon, you can um, by going to patreon.com forward slash the Slacker Podcast. I'm not going to spend all day sort of telling you what, what goes on there or whatever. But um, yeah, you can you can um, go there. Also, I have a new show. I'm going to say that this show is sponsored by my new show. Um, which is called Chill the Beats, which is a two-hour um, music show where I play the best chilled-out music anywhere in the world, and it is on Spotify exclusively. It's nowhere else. You can only listen to it on Spotify. Um, it comes out every single Sunday. There's a bonus episode, um, themed episode of like you know chill jazz music, chill hip hop music motivation music feel good music 
Um, this show, Chill the Beats, all one word, C-H-I-L-L-D-A-B-E-A-T-S, um, is designed for the month of January. It really is. Like, January is such a month that just sucks the serotonin out of your body through your little toe and you need to put it back in some way shape or form so if you go to spotify and type in chill the beats there is two hours of me waffling in between the most elegiac beautiful alternative chill music and we have some incredible guests who come on as well um like liam gallagher and Dodie and Oliver arnold um i'm yeah i'm i'm going to say i'm going to make this the best music show or show with music whatever they call them on 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 spotify on spotify it's gonna happen trust me right on to this week's podcast it is with uh rue from enter shikari who i've interviewed a couple times now um he was in my in my book the slacker's guide to the music industry which you can um still get online and I just I love talking to him. He's so open. He's so honest. Uh, he's so interesting. He's got views on so many different things that I have views on too. That I like either talking him talking to him about or challenging him um, about. And he's just a, a super interesting guy. So here it is: the Slacker Podcast with Rue from Enter Shikari. In three, two, one. What what has kept you uh, occupied then for the last little while? Because you dropped you dropped a record and like the record goes straight mm. to number two. And really at this stage, you should be traveling the world and talking yeah. to German German radio stations and like <laughs> Romanian and like whatever the equivalent of the Romanian enemy is and doing all the rest <laughs> of it. Yet you're just stuck in North London and your house like. Yeah, it's been so so weird. Um, yeah, we we had to cancel. All of our promotion around the album and then obviously all, all of festival season as well so this is the longest we've gone since of the band without playing a show the longest i've gone without seeing the rest of the lads full stop actually mm. um so yeah it's, it's, it's all been very not very odd um I, i've sort of just taken to the the hermit lifestyle i'm, I'm writing a book at the moment um it's you've, written, the, you've written a couple of books before haven't you yeah well i mean like with albums, Book's probably a bit too grand a, a title, but um, like e- essays basically ab- ab- about you know the lyrical intention and the inspirations behind the songs and stuff. Um, and but this one actually is more of a non-fiction book, so it's not like it's not split up by individual essays about the songs on the last album. It's now like as one written as one piece. Um, it's it's almost like investigative journalism in a way there's yeah. like you know just in the the first page and on the introduction there's like about six citations it's, it's getting pretty detailed um that's what is happens i suppose when you're on your own in a, in a house writing a book. <laughs> do you feel like you're losing your shit like sometimes when you're like deep into it like you haven't seen oh, anybody in days so often so often <laughs> yeah I'm a, i mean just before i, I got on the, this call i was on my about the fifth draft of my like sort of I don't know whether they're chapters yet or what like sections i guess but um yeah still in my head in a bit but <laughs> i just you... have to balance it with you know getting outside and yeah doing do normal things like are you and the boys quite good on on zoom together or are you like are you like meeting up and having like like i've been drinking with on and playing cards with my friends on, on zoom yeah. like once a, once a week or once a fortnight we play poker and get absolutely shit-faced and it's so much fun amazing yeah i found like I'm I'm having the second wave of enthusiasm for like Zoom calls. Like, so it's that initial wave where everyone was like, "Oh, it's fine. We can just like hang out on Zoom and everything." Um, you know, and quizzes and all of that. Uh, I can't and stand then, the quizzes now. I'm so over it. Like so. Dumb. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Everyone just got really sick of it. Um, then so some of my friends did like one of them. What are they call them board games? So, like, is it Cluedo? Like the detective kind of board games they did one of those and all like dressed up as characters and like did it in character and stuff i'm sad i missed that one but um, that looked like quite interesting like, level up on the uh, zoom yeah, game. yeah big time um so the the podcast is like a podcast we start with a demo 
and we have a demo of of um Enter Shikari here and I'll just blast into it. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk right. talk off the back. This is sorry you're not a winner. that instrument like it's, it's a half like sounds like half like a flute and half like the like <laughs> psycho you know that da, da, yeah. da, da. it's just a really bad midi now what i think i think it was done on a korg electribe so it has like an onboard um i mean it's a synthesizer sequence sequencer and it's got like like a, one menu where it has you know Instru- like real instruments yeah. but they sort of have that you know endearingly bad quality to them where they sort of <laughs> sound like 
synthesized and uh, kind of rough around the edges and yeah i think it was one of those the first thing that strikes me when i listen to that is you sound so like young you sound like as a band you know what i mean like, yeah. like you, you sound like kids even like your voice it doesn't like feel like it it broke in the same way like i know it had like yeah. but but like it's got do you know what i mean it doesn't have that maturity that you get after a couple of albums yeah well i think we were 17 um so yeah i guess you know my, my voice I was, I was still not even just in the kind of t- tone of it it also i think in the way i was like singing like there's there's words on there quite a few in fact that make me cringe because it's i'm clearly not singing in my own voice there's it's there's a there's an american accent you know in the remember like all that remember kind of me <laughs> yeah. i'm like yeah it's uh it's odd listening back to it yeah i, I think i was sort of still working out you know what sort of singer i was going to be because before enter shikari i'd been in bands that were kind of straight up hardcore punk so i was just screaming and then straight up sort of experimental alternative muse wannabe bands as well so i but you know i developed my sort of falsetto that register and, and this was the first time i was like okay no come on we're, we're actually going to make a band now that is interesting and like represents the music we were brought up on and intrigues us and excites us does it does it take like being in a couple of other bands to kind of get there to get get it right um it certainly did for us i mean i've i've been in bands with rob and chris for well since we were 11 like chris got his first guitar when he was nine my god that's Um, so early like like, what the hell do you play when you're 11 like i know (laughs) i mean there's some we have to dig them out one day, but there's some, there's probably going to be a lot of embarrassing recordings. He, he had a tape recorder as well. We used to like, used to do like faux radio shows and Amazing. like, yeah, just like stupid stuff. And yeah. What and, sort and of then, songs would you play? Like, like obviously you'd be like covering stuff, but even like, can you remember yeah. what, what it would be? I mean, we, we, I think I remember having a literally, it was, it was like the ultimate Beatles collection. So it was just the chords, but it had the tab as well for like solos and things. Mm. Chris was a, a far more accomplished guitar player than me, like in the early days. Um, so, so we we kind of just went through that basically, just <laughs> learned our our trade by by going through the Beatles back catalogue, and then as we sort of grew up and started to develop our own, um, maybe not even taste, but our own sort of intrigue for music. You know, getting into Britpop, and we we play our sort of primary school fates <laughs> yeah. and then when we were in secondary school, we, we, we did sort of like birthdays and, you know, other sorts of parties and, and the odd gigs here and there. And we were still, you know, up until we were about 14, then we, we made our first band where we were actually playing originals. Um, so were you which, kind of like a novelty in St. Albans then? Like if, cause you were the, the band, the young band that sort of turned up and played everything. Um, well, in a way, well, we, we were a three-piece known as Hybrid, which was, yeah, very much like sort of kind of eerie, had a lot of eerie electronics. Um, no, that was even before that. Sorry, Hybrid, yeah, was a three-piece, which literally sounded like Muse. <laughs> like, like, right, yeah. You can tell it, but then... Um, I don't feel like Muse have dated that well. I'm a massive, like, I was a massive Muse fan back in the day um and up until like abs- probably absolution i really 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 loved muse and i heard i heard a track the other day and it made me feel really old because it did like, i didn't feel <laughs> i didn't feel like it it stuck the time really yeah yeah i've i sort of lost i mean they were my favorite band for about a year i think and then i sort of lost in interest i think i was i was i was pulled towards the more extremes you know i was when i was 14 i was just like sort of discovering proper punk rock and hardcore and, and drum and bass and you know we were very lucky with our local scene there was all sorts of stuff but but yeah we, we didn't by the before we had a little gap i suppose hybrid was like um doing battle of the bands and doing like very small little youth club things and school uh, things yeah i, play, I played those came, ones yeah yeah then when and shikari started it was almost like a, a fresh start so but people sort of yeah perhaps a lot of people didn't even put 
see the link, you know, because there was a little gap where we just went away and just practiced and, and reinvented or, or invented ourselves for the first time, probably, really. Did you win any of the Battle of the Bands? We came second. <laughs> and <they said laughs> can you remember who set. you got beat by? Well, there were qualifiers, and I can remember we played, uh, uh, there was a qualifier at each school in St Albans, I think. And um, we got through to the final, which was at the Auburn Arena, which is like a pantomime venue, really. It's like a sort of 1,500 cap place. Um, so, it was, so it was, you know, massive for us. This is, this yeah. is insane. But yeah, we came second um, to a ska punk band called Dexter's Fish. <laughs> you always remember who you came second to like i, I think <laughs> like my my band won a couple of battle of the bands we entered every single one going but i remember the first one we did we got beat by um two two sisters singing alanis morissette and <laughs> i remember getting beat by them and i also remember winning like a battle of the bands in northern ireland the northern irish heat so we got to like it was like fight the nations england versus scotland versus wales and it was in newcastle and there was a band that sounded like the Young Knives. Do you remember them? Yeah. And they were kind of like dressed. It was around that time everybody was wearing checked shirts with the button done up to the top. And yeah. I, and yeah. I remember like us traveling the whole way to Newcastle. And I think it was like sponsored by like Jack Daniels or something. And we ended up like not winning. And we were like going, fuck this. Well, we go and see where Biker Grove was filmed. And then that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the venue in Newcastle? I'm intrigued. It was called, the, Clo- it was called the, the Clooney cleaning i don't know that one yeah when you started enter shikari how many of the like original members when you started enter shikari are still in the band or is it completely oh it's always been the four of us yeah um i've always been sort of i mean i say this now but if circumstances had been different i might not be say this so um intensely but like i've always been of the kind of frame of mind that your band is your band. The members are the band. And if the members change, then it's, it's a different band. There's a different dynamic, a different atmosphere. Um, you know, like as well, growing up, say, you know, the Beatles were four guys. If you changed any one of those, it would be yeah, very, very different. Although of course, Ringo was their second drummer, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's difficult like um, to keep a group of people together for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like you see that even with like couples or whatever, it's difficult to keep couples together for a while. Never mind four people. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. In in the sort of you know environment of a rock and roll touring band yeah. as well, there's a lot of pressure there, a lot of uh, sleep deprivation and moods and <laughs> and uh, yeah, fisty cuffs and petrol station uh, wind ups and all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All, all, all the all the rest of it. But when yeah. you when you guys started out at the, the beginning, I think it was very sort of. I, think I remember reading about you guys in the NME, and I remember reading that you were like on tour. Were you in tour on a post van or something like that? Yeah, yeah. We had a secondhand Royal Mail van that was basically a death trap, really. Um, we we had a few crashes and that that thing, a few few near misses. We ended up blowing it up in a, in a video actually because. <laughs> thought it's gonna blow us up at some point so we need to get rid of it yeah um, but yeah no we did we did that thing up and down the uk for a few years and you know it, it was your classic that a lot of other bands at that at that time were, were doing the same thing there were there was mold on the seats there wasn't really anywhere comfortable enough to sleep but you sort of made it work and mm. on with a guitar on your lap and all that kind of thing yeah. is there like one gig of those early days when you were in the, that fan that sort of sticks out a little bit more than the rest because i know some of them can kind of um drift into you know it's the same place but you might be playing to 30 yeah. 30 people one night 50 people 100 people whatever but is there one that like you and the boys go do you remember that gig mate there's so many um i love I'm, I, I'm a huge fan of the war stories like i'll i'll swap ones with you if you swap ones with me <laughs> <laughs> um well, what what sort of category of uh, memory are we looking for? Like I a... just like the really bizarre ones. Like uh, the time my, my band went and played a, a got paid a thousand pounds, which is the most we'd ever been paid by a, by about ten times, um, to go and play a Beatles uh, tribute festival in um, Moville in Donegal. Nobody turned up, and we learned half of a uh, we learned an hour of Beatles songs and an hour of our own songs, and the promoter. <laughs> promoter legged it without paying us so we um asked the woman at reception of the hotel 
um, where he lived so we could drop off an amp to his house and we went up and frog marched him down to the bank to pay us the money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my but, god! But I've got loads of those ones. Like when you, like you get more, way better stories from before you have like the industry side rolling with you. Because when you've got a booking uh, agent and a tour manager and all the rest of it, it takes out all the variables and all the weirdos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah, no. But I mean, we yeah, we booked our own shows for years, and um, the stress of that is enough to send you loopy. Um, okay, so. What should I start with? God. Um, I, I mean, the first one that just comes to mind was uh, because sadly, Reading is obviously on my mind. Um, but w- we played a show at the Cellar Bar, I think, in Reading. And uh, I remember we broke a, one cable and the promoter tried to tell us that it was worth like a grand or something. And we were like, well, I think it was just a just like a normal chat cable, yeah. you know, even if it wasn't, it would, it would, there's no way it would be anywhere near that. Um, and we basically refused to, like he, he withheld our money, which was probably only like 50 quid petrol anyway, but he, he, he blocked us in with his van and said that he, well, he wanted to frog march us down to, to what, petrol. what an yeah. absolute asshole. Like this is a young band that like, a br- no. <laughs> I, I, I presume it's that classic thing of, um, Maybe he just felt disrespected or something. Not, not that I, th- I mean, we were, we were pretty uh, lively in, in those days, but um, we were always sort of well-managed to the promoters and they, they clearly knew that we're not trying to break anything. Um, but yeah, it, and I, I can remember him threatening to get his, and I quote, carny mates down to beat us all up if we, if we don't go and get him his money. You should have like Googled to see whether the carnival was in town that day. Like, you yeah, like, well, yeah. well, actually, I've just tuned, I've just checked this out and you're chatting shit. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's been so much of that that kind of thing. The um, it, it, It's almost always over, most of our stories are over equipment. Either our equipment getting destroyed by other bands or us destroying equipment or you know bits of venues or piping or something or that's what yeah. happens with your band though like because like you have a it's not even just about how high energy and high octane your shows are but your fans are pretty mental as well like yeah they, they like throwing themselves about <laughs> like, yeah and i think there was there was a lot of miscommunication and misinterpretation of like the way that's people would act in that scene as well. You know, like people still didn't really understand what moshing was or what hardcore dancing was, or, you know, it, there was a, there was this air of like, especially locally for us, the, the amount of run-ins we had with our local council, there, there was an air of like danger and like, you know, out of control youth doing their drugs and getting in fights and stuff. Whereas in reality, most of the time it was the complete opposite. It was, it was a community. It was getting kids off, streets and doing something you know creative and um and communal and beneficial yeah what's the difference between moshing and hardcore dancing for the uninitiated oh christ <laughs> there's a whole politics around this isn't there? Is there i i, I would, honestly don't know this isn't a load of question because i, I want to know well there's I, I would say there's like hardcore dancing which is same as slam dancing probably a load of other terms which is the more of the art form, you know, where it's like windmilling and sort of more martial art, it looks like that. And then you get things like crowd killing, which is like running into the, the side of, of the, the kind of people watching. <laughs> if, if there's like a, you know, a circle that comes mm. out in the audience and all that kind of thing. Um, whereas moshing, I would say, is just more like, uh, just, more, just like, it's more head banging and shoulders, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like pogoing, as they called it in the, in the 70s and, yeah. <laughs> but it, kind of, yeah. it, is, it is interesting because like i mean moshing crowd surfing two two of the things i absolutely loved when i was like a, a teenager and like the older you get the far the farther back at the the venue say like the venue is just one small black room like yeah you, you start off in your teenage years at the front and just by the the, the older you get the, the further back you get and i think then you get to a certain point and you, you're really old and you go back up again um <laughs> but but uh i like I, I went to a gary newman gig uh just before lockdown and i was so happy because it was a seated i was it was upstairs at the uh <laughs> forum in kentish town yeah and we had a table 
It was sick. Oh, it was lovely. <laughs> That's best, when you know you get best experience ever. Um, yeah. But the, like, there's always one, right? When you're when everybody's like made the circle for the pit, I'm like all for the energy and I really enjoy it, right? But I'll have always just come back with a pint, right? And I'll have handed my pint to to my missus or my friend or whoever I'm with, and there's just one person who doesn't respect the circle and just goes flying out through it on purpose, and you're just like respect the yeah, circle. Yeah. <laughs> what what is the, the the sort of biggest circle pit or biggest sort of crowd moment that you've had because I'd, I'd, I'd imagine you're a bit, like a bit of a hardcore conductor with the crowd at some at times um trying to remember a specific there's been quite a few you know the classic thing of, of getting like a circle pit round the front of house the sound desk um is always pretty spectacular i don't, know, I don't think i've seen festivals. that i haven't seen that done before Oh man, yeah. It it looks like um, you know, the Mecca when when people are like doing the religious walk around. It. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty incredible to watch from stage. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. There was that. What's that? What's the festival that uh, that ran in? Was it? There was one in Northern Ireland and one in Scotland, and it was like a uh, in oxygen. Yeah, oxygen was in the south of Ireland, but like it was a partner with Tea in the Park. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, I can remember specifically there there being um, a massive circle pit at that one, and, and the classic thing of kids were climbing up the the like the tent stanchions. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that happen. I remember MGMT yeah. MGMT when their first Irish show had to be called off. Which, to be fair, yeah. to be fair, like was like they were so bad at the beginning that like I mean it, they did themselves a favor. The guy who climbed <laughs> up the pole because like they just really were thrown in the deep end too early, like. Um, oh, but there's nothing more frightening than watching that person up there like it, it, and it's mm -hmm. proper car, car crash as well you can't take your eyes off it but yet you're feeling absolutely sick looking at it yeah i remember going back again um into sort of the early year the very early years of touring um i think we were playing it was either i think it was doncaster and um this kid had climbed up he was scaling the front of the pa um, and so he basically his fingertips were in the mesh of the PA of the speaker. Um, so he was, he was climbing up and the security grabbed no, hold of his neck and no, dragged him off no. and left, he left half of his finger up in the mesh. Oh, oh no. it was br I mean, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating. It was like his full nail and then sort of the top it being sliced off Still by low. the metallic mesh of, of the, of the PA. Um, you yeah, can't... so you, you always do worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, kids. God. I lost my finger in an Enter Shikari show. That's a t shirt. There. I mean, yeah, you guys yeah, are pretty good yeah. with your merch. There you go. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. 
at Plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um, like I know from like when from bands back home in Northern Ireland, like they they, they prefer tour a lot of them anyway. I don't know if it's the same now, but like a lot of them preferred touring in Europe than they did in the UK because they'd make more money and they were treated better. Um, like, do you think that like UK promoters and UK music venues really have the same? TLC for their uh, artists as they do in Europe because like I, I I from from the from me going around if you get like two bottles of water between six people it doesn't really seem fair does it yeah yeah well I think it's it's fairly classic isn't it Where, especially when you're playing sort of the the very kind of corporate venue circuit um, which I guess is a little bit bigger than than your kind of average you know small town venue size mm. but then it, it becomes literally like you're being used as a as a commodity or something, you know. Um, but no, Europe is is certainly a, a level above in uh, yeah, as you say, TLC. Like just the, the catering, for instance, like German, uh, Dutch, Belgian catering is just so good. Like at festivals and and at venues as well, it's just they they really seem to put effort into that aspect uh, of trying to make. Comfortable. I've heard so many stories of like the actual person promoter promoting the show, taking the small band who's playing or maybe even second on the bill into their home and feeding them at their kitchen table and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think there's that that's just thing of just like there's an appreciation, like because you know a a promoter and a band should be it should be a partnership. You know, you're both working to put on, you know, what should be a great night of of entertainment and and community for your locality, um, and often it can be the complete opposite you can you can there can be a, a kind of environment of distrust to you know the promoter between the promoter and the, and the band um i think we learned that very quickly through our sort of troubles <laughs> that we got ourselves into yeah um that it was all about picking like good people who cared about the music who understood the music and then we we, we cared about their venue and, and their reputation and everything else and it was yeah it's getting those partnerships one of my friends, they they play in a sort of post rock band, and they've like you know they tour Eastern Europe quite a lot, and they've had so many run ins with like the police and like and with going across customs and having to bribe like people or like you know people going you you need money to get over and do this that and the other. Have you ever come across that on your travels? Like, cause it, it it like going from country to country, it's hard to not find yourself in those situations. Yeah, I think there's a lot of countries as the further east you get <laughs> the, um yeah the, the, that's almost built into a lot of the um like the institutions and, and you know the mm. the various forms what do they call it the carnet like the 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 contracts for your gear basically to, to take your gear um around the world like internationally it, it can be a real ball ache but as well sometimes it comes down to literally like tipping people off and, and kind of you know <laughs> is there anybody at a port that's wearing an enter shikari t-shirt now like <laughs> oh yeah i mean in um the amount of times like crossing the american canadian border is really just potluck sometimes you'll get like a complete jobs worth asshole who'll just like search every bit of your, your van and keep you on the border for hours and hours and even though that's a border we've crossed so many times and yeah. it's, it's quite clear, you know, we're not uh, a problem of any sort. Um, and then you'll, you'll get the, I think we've about three or four times now we've had uh, uh, an officer who's who knows of the band and is like really excited. To speak <laughs> that's to really cool. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. We, we've, so we've, we've given merch to, uh, <laughs> to yeah, officer quite a few times actually. But then you end up spending just a, just the same amount of time at the border. Chatting. But, much nicer <laughs> for a much nicer reason what are the what are the what is your reception like in in like um the sort of north america's is it similar to over here because like i know if the fan base here is rabid like is it the same around the world um the the intensity and the passion is which we're eternally grateful for um north america it doesn't we certainly don't have the the sort of spread that that we do here um i think I think as international as our music and my lyricism attempts to be, I think 
at our core, we're we're still quite clearly a sort of British band or even a European band. Yeah. Um, and I think um, America likes its its sort of segregating its genres and having things neatly in in genres, so so you can understand it quickly and you you know what to expect. Whereas I think Britain perhaps has this kind of history of of real artistry and, and like pioneering in, in terms of like the, the creative industries and, and bands and, and art and stuff. So I, I, I don't know. It's probably a bit of a generalization here, but yeah, I, I think America sort of struggles to understand what we're trying to do because they just don't have the cultural history that, that we've come from. It's a, it's a tough nut, not to crack. And even people, I was watching, a, uh, I had Bob Geldof on the podcast. Um, I'm not sure when, when this is coming out, but, uh, but uh, he was like talking about how they traveled the U.S. every single state, tried to do as many cities as they could over and over and over again, and they just, just couldn't crack it. And it's so yeah. tiring because by the time you finished, like spending a year, eighteen months, two years trying to get into the U.S., like the people back home in the U.K. are like, "Where's the next record?" And you're like, "I'm being, I'm really tired." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've known bands that have actually moved there and just like basically given it a year of their life to just go, okay, let's do this. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's that's one way of doing it now. But the the I think music in general, but like our, our scene or at least the scene we got lumped in with in America is so saturated. So it's like people sort of look at us and if on surface, if, if they choose to see a however they want to describe it metal core or even though we're clearly not that mm. um but they they'll see that and then they'll go well i already like you know all these metal core bands and we have them here in america so why why would i sort of you know yeah. give effort into working out <laughs> what these guys are about <laughs> um like your, your dalliances with the the record industry have been pretty like novel like you've you've been you've always had a held a little bit of a sort of diy spirit about what what you guys do haven't you yeah yeah absolutely um and and pure, purely through necessity really um would nobody sign you at the start no no we went and when we and we were aiming for that you know we, we were sending off our demos to to lots of labels at the same time beginning to learn about friends bands or friends of friends that had been you know, treated very badly by the industry, or, you know, got got themselves into to deals that they probably shouldn't have gotten into um, and slowly built up uh, a kind of, yeah, weariness about about the inner workings of it, really. And then, it, it I mean, yeah, we, we made our label purely out of necessity because no one wanted to put it out. And it wasn't, it was only when we recorded it and we were about to put it out and we had success with our first single and, you know, we've got a booking agent by that point. Then the labels became super interested. Um, it's typical, but yeah. isn't it? Like they just they, they won't take the chance until they know it's a winner. Yeah, but like we were very lucky that like we our, our manager Ian got involved at just at the right point because we would have you know we would have been like like wide eyed you know bushy tailed kids jumping into this is a record contract oh my god we're gonna be a real band did you ever get um, did you ever get that sweet talk from like any of the the major labels where they'd like drive you around in a limo or or oh yeah yeah i mean well not not quite that but like, you know been, been taken out for meal been taken out for meals and um yeah just them trying to sort of make out like they knew who we were and what and what we needed and, <laughs> and and what we wanted to hear and everything it was a it, that was a very odd time but I, I'm, I'm so sort of so glad that we made that decision to to keep it diy and, and and you know a year after that i'd sort of then discovered like dr the history of diy really so from like from factory records here in in the uk discord records um and like the whole diy hardcore scene um in america and it was then I was like, oh, we did the same thing. Oh, and I sort of, it was then that I sort of knew we'd we'd made the right decision. It's, it is mad though. Like you, you must have some sort of record because like you got six records out and like they've all done really well chart wise. Like, and that's very rare for, for DIY, you know, do you know what I mean? That's rare for DIY. Yeah. Like normally that like a DIY label will have a couple of successes, but yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 
you know, every time we we get in like the, you know, the top ten, um, I find myself saying that yeah, this is this is odd because not you know not only are we a independent band, we're quite far from the middle of the road, quite far from music you'd you'd expect to see in the top ten. It's very diverse. It's difficult to get into because every song is, is really quite different, and then every era uh, is is quite different as well. And it's um, yeah, so it's. You got I'm not really 2020 Sorry, 2020 was the year that you went to number two who was number one um Prob- shit, was probably Scottish. lewis capaldi i was just gonna say probably lewis capaldi no it wasn't although lewis capaldi um lewis capaldi had been in i mean he's that album hasn't gone out of the top five like no, for about a year no nah, no nah. um but he i think he was third or fourth um, and he, uh, after the midweeks, he was catching us up and I tweeted him <laughs> saying, Oh mate, come on, just, just take one week off. Would you? And he <laughs> replied saying like, yeah, he would. And that he bought the album and he, he did a, a, a screenshot of his copy and everything. And, oh, and he that's... was saying that he had, um, back in the Bebo days, one of uh, his scream names was, was one of our songs and stuff. So oh, that was so man. Funny. I love Lewis Capaldi. Like I've, uh, I've got a good relationship with him. Like, uh, it was yeah, he seems things. like a great. I think it was uh, is it Jerry Cinnamon? Yeah. Oh, Jerry yeah. Cinnamon, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was number one. Yeah. Um, well, you, you're in a Scottish sandwich there. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> When's Northern Ireland gonna have somebody? It's been too long. Scotland, <laughs> Scotland's getting all the luck right now. Um, but yeah, like I mean that that is that is incredible. And you see, as you said, like actually it's something I thought was quite interesting is like there's been so many uh, different sort of styles of. Andrew Shikari, do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you're not scared of switching it up. I remember, like, uh, I've, I've like, definitely in the past gone, who's that? And then heard it, and like, gone, that's not Andrew Shikari, is it? And then you're like, going, it is, yeah, and it's yeah. good. Um, you're not scared, yeah. scared of going, uh, left or or right. I'm. I feel quite grateful that our our audience has given me quite a long leash as a songwriter. They they let me roam uh, the, the the full musical spectrum and they seem to accept it. Like I mean, obviously we're always there's always going to be a certain percentage of, of, of any fan base that is always going to say, oh, we should go back to this album or whatever. Um, but I think because our second album was was such a clear departure from the first, people realised that we were never going to be the type of band that would just be, you know, dredging out the, the same sort of music over and over again and. Um, I think that, that that's like the main thing that keeps me going. I'm, like, I'm so interested in in music full stop um, that being able to be this fidgety creative who who is able to explore regions um, of musicality that I perhaps haven't done before. I mean that that's what really gives me the just the the spur of enthusiasm and the and the enjoyment really the euphoria of songwriting something new is, is incredible if you're able to go left on a song and write on a song have you ever now looking back feel like you've gone on a wrong turn <laughs> and and like have, yeah. have you ever looked back on songs or albums and you've been a little bit like oh god for sure yeah i mean there's always there's stuff i would have done differently but i think i i kind of rate our back catalogue in terms of honesty like how or how honest was it like does the song encapsulate as best i could whatever i wanted to encapsulate and you know that that to me is more what i look back on rather than like oh johnny sniper is fucking terrible as a song or like yeah. oh i wish uh something other than sorry or not a winner wasn't the song that we, <laughs> we were kind of massively known for back then but uh, is there is there a song that stands out as your favorite like if like if tomorrow you got hit by a bus and somebody were writing on his and this is the song that he wanted played what would it be um i have no idea that's so difficult it is well, i guess I, if it was I mean, my it's funeral a... i'd i'd want to make everyone cry so i'd pick one of the i'd pick like constellations or Dear Future Historians or Airfield, like one of the the, the slower ballads. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't you should just go for the mashup I mean, one and like crowd surf yourself into the coffin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I, it's certainly the one I'm most proud of at the moment is is off the last album, uh, Elegy for Extinction, which is but it's a classical piece and it's it's something that I'd wanted to do for years on on this scale, and um, the amount of work that went into that and and the amount of uh, coaxing I had to do of myself to do that because I'm not the most sort of immediately confident confident person, especially in my own abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, that would that would be the one probably I'd probably play to. You, as you said yourself, you, you you're creatively fit, creatively fidget or fidgety, creatively yeah. fidgety. Um, yeah. Does that does that mean does that like work with other people as well? Like like I mean, do you want to produce other people? Because obviously you're so musical. Like like do you, do you work with other artists or is it always like this is the Shikari show? Um, I'm I've I only kind of just started to these last few years. I think, again, it's been a big thing is confidence. Like for someone who's always written by himself, um, it was usually quite scary for me to even attempt to, to think of writing with, with another human being because it's for me, it's, it is really a, a very emotional, very honest process. Um, but yeah, like the year before last, I started doing a bit of uh, like pop writing on the side um, which is really interesting as, did, a, as an did any, of the, did any of the tracks come out? Yeah, yeah, a few of them did. Um, well, my favourite was... Uh, oh, shit, what was it? Are we getting them? Um, going? There's, there's an artist called Henrik Hoven. Oh, yeah. Um, who's such a talented sort of pop R&B, um, yeah, kind of thing. And his voice is absolutely incredible. Um, and we we wrote a song called Weekend that was I still listen to it. It's such a summer banger. It's like you know, it's it's like it's pure pop, but like melodies are great. Like it's a real feel good track. So I did stuff like that. I mean, it's 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 pretty far from my writing process for Annie Shikari, but I learned a lot. Um, and I, I've just started. You know, now I produced our last album by myself. I, I've now started to consider myself a producer. So I'm. Um, starting to mix a few tracks and, and, and look at working with, with other bands and artists as well. That's wicked. One thing I've always loved about Shikari is that like you've used your platform for good, like you've used your platform to, to speak about um, like, you know, things that are topical to, to young people and to good people. Um, and like, has, it, has that been difficult over the years? Cause like so many people, and I disagree with this massively say bands should just stick to music and they shouldn't be, talking about politics where i mean mm. i kind of see that that's bullshit if you've got a platform use it right yeah and what else is there to talk about <laughs> do you know what i mean like yeah everything in this day and age especially everything's related to, to politics like it's there's no escaping it. It, it it would be a political decision to not talk about politics <laughs> you know what i mean like it, it would, so yeah. I, I, that's just a, a classic way to stunt communication to stunt conversation to stunt thought um so yeah that that i mean it used to frustrate me incredibly but now i've come to expect it from from people who either have a an agenda to 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 silence some sort of um political discussion that they don't like or you know political uh leaning that they don't like Mm -hmm. um or it's it's someone who's just hugely ignorant of the way we work as humans like discourse communication is all we have speaking about things that matter is all we have what's the what's the alternative violence so yeah that yeah it, it's it's stupid but you just have to I, i've tried to become more uh patient over over the last few years like yeah it's very yeah. hard to be patient on social media i, I even like yeah. even the like the dalai lama or buddha would, would have difficulty um not <laughs> not giving off on twitter you know yeah yeah it's 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 a test it's a constant test i think and it's like with empathy like it's really interesting because empathies are considered you know such a a positive human trait and and when we empathize we usually do it to things that we're sort of clearly meant to empathize with you know various like we're, we're empathizing with black people right now with the whole blm movement and rightly so obviously but we need to start using our ability uh, for empathy or of empathy um, in places where it's actually hard. 
So like, say, for instance, if someone comes to me with some racist opinion or sexist opinion or homophobic opinion or what, you know, whatever it is, um, I have to approach that with patience and empathy and think, okay, this person has obviously been indoctrinated or he's been, he's grown up in some sort of environment where this view was fed to him. So it's not his fault. So I have to detach his, his personage, his ego, his entity from this view and think, okay, how can I persuade this person or like show this person a different way of thinking? Um, and has that's that, the only that way we're worked? ever going to see progress. Has that ever worked? Because like, I, I, I mean, when, if somebody comes in with a real strong idea, it's very hard to talk them out of it unless they're just saying something that's misinformed and they're just a bit stupid. Do you, do you yeah, know what I mean? It's, it's incredibly hard, but I think part of that reason that's not me saying don't do it but like i, I yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. like not 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 for a second like you should do it all the time uh, and like we should all be pulled up on on stuff that we do and say i mean it, like everybody in 2020 is a different version of themselves than they were in 2010 than they were in the, the year mm. 2000 you know there's like i think the everybody is as a community and a society is growing together and what's acceptable now maybe wasn't like you're seeing a lot of it now and it's it's all happening for the best like yeah it's uh it's it's you know it's one long road and i think the the better we get at empathizing the more we'll see that working like you know as i say that the the opposite is just violence or it's ridiculing someone which is our favorite thing to do on social media because it gets us points and likes and retweets <laughs> um but of course ridiculing someone certainly is is never going to persuade that person no. um so yeah it's it's it's, it's an interesting topic and yeah there's obviously uh different degrees of of patience that we should have for, for, di for different types of uh beliefs but um yeah i think it, as a general way of progress i think uh trying to have a bit more empathy and a bit more patience is something that the whole of society needs for sure i think we spoke about this before but like we're, we're both uh, card carrying anxiety sufferers right like um mm. and have been for quite some time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. been, I've, I've noticed that like um you've got into mindfulness in a in a big way right yeah yeah mindfulness is is i sort of properly discovered it um in 2015 i sort of had you know as as we all seem to do at least at one point in our life you just have one year where just everything goes wrong and everything falls apart and uh mindfulness became one of my tools that i learned in order to uh survive really um and it's 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 one that i've i've kept up and it's one that i've found not just helpful on a personal level you know to do with my mental health but i find it like really interesting like as, as just a process of discovering how our how inner lives work how our minds work um our cognition it's, it's i think it's something that we're gonna see is is eventually taught properly it's going to be part of like school syllabuses mm. um because you know we, we all know how important like physical health is we all understand the the utility of uh exercise and of diet but we're not really given any like education on what it's like to be a human inside you know what what the mental processes the biases that we're we're all very capable of you know, everything that cognitive behavioral therapy goes into, um, I think that's going to be hopefully going to become much more of a staple in terms of, of uh, life lessons from, from an early age. How like do you, you see the difference before you started and then when you started? Like, like, like how much has your anxiety like, um, quelled a little bit since, since doing that? Well, for anxiety, it's, it's, it's a weird one for me because I seem to have like two levels. I have just like my functioning normal anxiety which is it's i can live with it it's bearable and I've, I've from the tools that i picked up from mindfulness from cbt like it uh, it's okay like i don't have to take medication i mean well like half of that is probably that i choose not to because i also have um introspective anxiety which means i don't like feeling things that are brought on by <laughs> by chemicals yeah, yeah um, so i've yeah. never been good at like like drugs at all um but yeah, I, it, I I would say mindfulness has, has more helped in just a way that just of the a deeper level of understanding. I think of just like our processes and um, the it, it it helps like spotting 
when I'm about to enter in into a rabbit hole that will lead me to anxiety, that will lead me mm. to obsessive compulsive thoughts or lead me to like more of a depressed state or whatever else. Um, mindfulness is like a sort of an alert system. It's, it's like a security guard on onto your consciousness. So as I mean, so there's a st study out of Harvard um, and it's been replicated quite a lot. This says 47% of the time we're on autopilot. So we're not present with our thoughts. And it's usually in those moments that our minds will revisit things that make, make us anxious because of our evolutionary um, uh, biology. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're very conscious of things that are negative. It's a survival technique, effectively. What's going to keep us alive is knowing where that tiger is or that bear is or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's in those moments um, of not really subconscious, but just unconscious thought when you're just, you know, you're, you're being taken away. Your, your mind is wondering those are the moments where your mood, your mood can be taken. Your anxiety can be heightened. Your depression can be heightened, whatever else. Um, and mindfulness is, is obviously being mindful. It's, it's noticing when those, those moments are there. So it's, um, it's just a real technique that, to keep you, to give you a bit, a bit more control, I think, more than, more than anything. And if somebody wanted to get in, somebody's listening to this right now, and maybe they're, they're get, getting it a little bit tight. And I think probably the ratio of people getting it a little bit tight in terms of stress and anxiety mm. com coming off the sort of coming out of a pandemic, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, is probably more significant. Like, how do they start? Like, what, what, what is the best way for somebody to begin doing something like that? Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's countless number of apps now that are, that are really good. I use Headspace. I, mean, like, I, I enjoy Headspace because yeah. it's, it's only 15 minutes and I have no attention span whatsoever. Um, yeah, yeah. And the amount of times I, I started using it at the start of the pandemic because I just know I know myself that like I should start running and doing this stuff before it starts because it'll, yeah. it's it's basically like going, let's, let's not wait till everything's fucking shit. Yeah, let's, yeah. Let's, let's, get, let's get ahead of it a little bit. <laughs> Um, and I, like, I find myself falling asleep, like loads of times that you get, you get into your breath and all the rest of it. And it was only meant to be 10 minutes or 15 minutes and I'd be outside or I'd be like in the house and I'd wake up and it'd be like an hour and a half later. And I'm like, going, Whoa, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a classic. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I've, I've used headspace a lot. 10% happier is another good one. Um, I've just started a podcast, which is the free guide plug away man meditation. that's how podcasts get plugged is on other people's po podcast yeah plug it plug it to all you can <laughs> well yeah it's called here now together um it, it started because basically at the start of lockdown i i thought well because everyone was doing live streaming and you know i did, I did live streaming acoustic sets and stuff as well i thought well what else can i actually do which might be helpful um and so i thought i'd relay my experience and my knowledge of of mindfulness um, and the meditation techniques that I've learned. So I started doing live streamed guided mi mindfulness meditations. Love that. Um, and it went, yeah, it went down really well. But a lot of people seem to appreciate it. And I think there's so many mis misperceptions of like what mindfulness is. You know, meditation is still suffers from this kind of hippy dippy, hippy dippy. Agey, yeah, like like uh, what do you call those? Like those little beads, like on your door, and like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But I think yeah. there's there's room out there for like rock and roll, rock and roll yoga, rock and roll mindfulness, rock and roll well yeah. well being. Like I I think it's it, but it's people like you, um, sort of taking those stigmas out of it that will ultimately help it become, um, you know, just normalized really. Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on my podcast, I, I try and concentrate on like, well, it's, it's all completely like, science has its basis in science rather than having its basis in like Theravada Buddhism, Buddhism, Buddhism I can't even say, in Theravada <laughs> Buddhism yeah. or in Tao philosophy or, you know, it, uh, there's obviously modern day mindfulness, um, like secular meditation, I suppose you could call it, takes so much from those religions, but it also kind of, um brushes off the needless more sort of mm, you know fluffy spiritual language yeah um, and, I, and, that, and that's what i'm not into like i'm kind of more into yeah. that that sort of style that you're into um yeah i must start listening to your podcast this is this is good 
<laughs> got yeah, a new podcast man. to listen to now <laughs> <laughs> um listen i've taken up enough of your time um thank you so much for coming on the slacker podcast for for um sharing the early enter shikari demo and um i will be listening to your your meditation podcast and i will very much be um namaste <laughs> that's yeah, what we're trying to get away from yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah throw, no, nice one thank we'll you just so throw, much throw the me. horns and that'll be it yeah. <laughs> all right Ru, um yeah all the best thank you so much wicked take care man thank you Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.